The Triathlon Show 401. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Vasco Vilasa. Vasco is a short-course triathlete from Portugal. He is the current leader of the World Triathlon Championship Series by the time of this recording, when the last race of the series was the uh, Super Sprint race in Hamburg. He is also the third place finisher of the Super League Triathlon Championship Series of 2022, and he is the World Championship Silver Medalist from 2020 in the standalone sprint distance race in Hamburg. In this interview, we learn more about Vasco's training, his background, goals for the future, and a lot more. Uh, I did have some serious uh, problems with editing this podcast because I actually lost the entire audio track from my side from the interview. You. So I have had to re-record every single one of my questions. Uh, fortunately, Vasco's uh, track remained intact, and that is, of course, the most important thing. So, yeah, if you listen to this interview and you think that it lacks a bit of flow, and uh, that is because everything from my end is re-recorded. Uh, so keep that in mind. But fortunately, uh, I try to let my guests do most of the talking, so it could be salvaged pretty easily if it was a bit of a tedious. Uh, labor uh, but before we get into the interview big thanks to our sponsors precision fuel and hydration they help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools education and a patented sweat test you can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate sodium and fluid intake and you can book a free 20 minute video call station to chat through your plan with the athlete support team i have used their entire range of products for a long long time and i think they're absolutely brilliant and you can get 15 percent off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Form. The Form Smart Swim Goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training right on the goggle lens, including your splits, pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. This means that you can execute your swim workouts a lot better, whether it's pushing harder when you're starting to fall off the pace or holding back when you're accidentally going faster than you should. It also means that if you're using a Garmin in the pool, you can finally get rid of it because the goggles automatically notice when you start and stop each of your intervals and give you accurate splits for each and every one of them without the disruption of using a watch uh, it also adds a lot of fun and f accountability and motivation to your swimming when you get that uh, instant feedback throughout each of your repetitions and i think that is uh, something that is a huge advantage that that's not that's easy to forget with the form goggles you can get 15 percent off the form smart swim goggles with the code tts15 on formswim.com forward slash tts now without any further ado here's the interview with vasco vilasa Welcome to that triathlon show, Vasco. How are you doing today? Hi, Mikael. Um, I'm good. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, pleasure to be here and looking forward to talking a little bit about triathlon here. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to hearing more about uh, you and your training and everything. Uh, so let's maybe start if you can just uh, give us an, uh, a bit more of an introduction to yourself. Yeah, so, well, I'll try not to be too long, but that going fast through kind of my triathlon career I started very young in Portugal 20, 2006 actually so I was very young and I did like all the 
young age groups in Portugal, and that's how I learned about triathlon, and I had a lot of fun. Uh, I had a lot of kids doing it, which is, you know, the motivation you have when you're a kid to start. It's just I went to have fun with my friends playing triathlon. Um, 2013, I moved to Sweden um, for nothing to do with me. It was my parents' decision, uh, their professional decision, and uh, took me and my sister with them. There I got a very different chance um, in what has to do with triathlon. As triathlon is very different in Sweden. Olympic distance or short distance triathlon is very small in Sweden. So I had to, you know, do a lot of work by myself first. And then I found this high school, um, which is the, well, we call it Riks Triathlonium, which is the high school for the best triathletes in the country. Uh, I likely got to start there and I got a very good coach, a very good team. And even as a junior, that kind of gave me, gave me a, a big boost uh, to become one of the best juniors uh, in the world. It, well, in Europe at first, as you race like in the beginning, when you're younger, you only race European races usually. And then becoming a junior, racing the world championships and well, the European championships and the European cups. Uh, going from there... Um, I finished high school, I think, in 2018, got a little bit lost in what I should do after, like what's the next step. I was getting, well, older. It was time to kind of get, give the step from junior to elite. And uh, in, in between coming back to Portugal, staying in Sweden, I decided to join university there um, and train with my high school uh, coach, Joachim Villian, with, with whom I've been working for a long time and who taught me, I would say, probably more than 90% of what I know about triathlon. We At the school, we would even have lessons about triathlon, you know, lessons about nutrition, lessons about training to know what we were doing. And that gave me a very good base of understanding of what I should be doing, when I should be doing, and being open to also ask why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and when it was time uh, to change, so as you said, 2020, during COVID, I got a chance to put in a lot of training that gave me a huge boost to get into the elite world of triathlon. Uh, of course, coming out of Hamburg with its silver medal uh, put me, well, very high up in the world then. Hamburg this year was the the world championship because there, there was no world triathlon championship series due to COVID, but there was uh, the Hamburg race that was the, uh, the single race that determined the world championships, just for listeners that uh, might not be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, I was the, well, world vice champion um, because, yeah, I was training the whole year. And then at the end of the year, they had this one race. Everything else was canceled. And, well, they went, they went very, very well. And it was not long after, I think. Um, it would be hard to set the time here, but I do remember. Yeah, okay. So the next year, so this was 2020. The Olympic Games were in 2021. Um, I didn't make the the cut like the national team criteria as I was quite young during the qualification still and didn't have the points and everything. But I remember after the games, uh, my coach Joachim sat with me and was like at the point where I was like, okay, let's talk about what's the plan for the races. And he sat with me and was okay. Uh, so we can talk about the races coming up in the next months, but a new Olympic cycle is starting and you need actually to start looking at where you want to go in the future, where you want to be in four years, eight years, 12 years. And that's where the talk about actually becoming 
um, I would say, um, well, a real professional triathlete or focusing 100% and doing everything I can to put myself in the best place came in, um, putting together everything I know about triathlon. Um, and then I, I had to try, try a different, a few different options. I ended up joining Joel, Joel Filial, the squad. Uh, so I'm in Girona since last year. So I've been here for one, one and a half year, kind of. Um, and things last year already went pretty well, I'd say. Um, was my first year racing the World Series. So doing the decent. So in 2020, I did one race that went very well when I came second and one uh, was second in the world. But I was still young and I didn't have the capacity to be able to race at that level constantly throughout the whole year. Um, and that's what working with Joel has helped me uh, with a lot. And last year, I already got some stability on my results, although it was not podium results, but being in the top, top 10 constantly. And this year, um, things have been going very well. Uh, I was able to start the season with a podium. And since then, I did two more podiums. So kind of I'm having stable results, but the standard slowly going up. So being able now to try and hold on to those podium results as much as I can. Yeah, that's a, a great introduction. So thank you for that. Do you understand it right then that uh, it was uh, your coach Joachim Villain who brought up that you might need to choose to to go and train elsewhere and train with somebody else uh, is that he was the one that initiated that process of, of looking for a different environment a different coach is that how it happened yeah indeed interestingly enough and that's one of the reasons i i respect him so much uh, he was the one raising the the question if if it wasn't time to look for something better so he he said he's there for me if i want to keep training with him and he would help me with whatever i need but he thinks he's limited in what he can give me, uh, being that my goals were so high or that I, well, I do, well, I dreamed, or I still dream very big. And he thought there were better options to, to get to that, to that level and that I should look for them or I should try to see if there's something better, uh, understand for myself. It's mostly he... He's very honest, which I really like. And most coaches, I would say, if they would have an athlete like me, they would try to hold on to the athlete. Um, and being able to actually tell me that I've given you and I've done everything I can for you and for you to keep growing, maybe you should try to find someone who knows even more, who can help you even more. Uh, and that's pretty much what he did. And actually was at that point, it was a very hard conversation at, at the time because I will, really wasn't expecting that. But looking back now, he's, was, he was completely right. And I mean, I think we could have done a lot together, but definitely being here with Joel now, there, there's a lot I'm learning, uh, a lot of experience and a lot of things that if I would have done by myself, being that with Joachim, I was the only one at that level, uh, would have taken longer time to learn. So here I can take the experience from athletes have done it and that have been through the things I'm going through now. And that speeds up the process a lot and definitely helps me a lot. So on that note, could you run us through your current training partners that are uh, also part of the Joel Filial squad? Yeah, indeed. Uh, so the squad, um, let's see, we have Joel and Drew Box. So Joel Filial and Drew Box are the two coaches. Uh, then we have uh, Vincent Lewis, um, Yellow Jeans, uh, Ben Sabiksak, 
Louis Knabel. We have on the Aussie side Jake Berthwistle, uh, Brandon Copeland. I'm trying to see if I don't forget anyone. Um, we have on the girls' side uh, Emma Jackson, and then we have the two Hedgeland sisters, uh, Kira and Jazz, a bit newer uh, to the sport. Uh, Jazz was at the games in Tokyo, and we have uh, Natalie Vancouver that joined us quite recently as well. So I would say a lot of very good athletes, definitely. Like there's a lot of experience we can put together and help each other with. And were you always set on uh, joining Joel's squad or did you have any other options that you were also considering when it uh, came time to to moving on from your uh, setup in Sweden and with Joachim? Well, uh, Joachim had been working with Joel for a while already. Um, so Joel, I think they already met a couple of times before that Joachim went to a training camp with Joel to learn from him, like really just pay Joel to be there next to him and just see what ha- what happens. Uh, and I think he did that with a couple other coaches, but a lot of what we did and a lot of what we believed in came from Joel. Uh, so a lot of the training process I learned about uh, was pretty much coming from Joel's base thought on training. And as I saw things at the moment, looking around a bit, talking with some athletes, I thought the two best options for me were either uh, Paulo Sosa. Well, Paulo Sosa is the name actually in Portuguese. Um, uh, and Joel Filial. So I think they would, they would be the coaches with the experience. And, well, the I don't know, and the people I looked up to that had built these squads with athletes that wanted to achieve the same things that I, that I want and that weren't directly connected with federations, although Joel does work with the um, TA, with Triathlon Australia, but they were able to build their own squads, which in itself I think shows a lot of um, commitment to uh, the work they're doing. It's not easy. I mean, it's not easy to, you know, building something from the ground up, like to going at this athlete and that athlete and that athlete slowly, Uh, wait for the results to come, for more athletes to come. And for me, these two coaches was what made most sense. Um, I was with Paulo at the start. Uh, I was in Montegordo, lovely place. And I, well, was really welcome there. And I, I really enjoyed being there, actually. And at the start, it was actually very close that I was going to join Paulo because Joel or the JFT has, like, the squad here, um, Because Joel isn't here, Joel joined TA, uh, Triathlon Australia. He was in Australia. Most of the squad kind of fell apart a bit after the games that, you know, different people had different ideas. Some retired, some had new coaches. And the squad here was actually um, Martin, Yella, and Vince. And then Martin changed coach as well. Uh, Martin Van Riel, I'm talking about. So then it was only Vince and Yella. And there was no coach here. So things were actually very shaky in Girona. And I was in Montegordo with this, well, with Paulo Souza, with an amazing squad and training was going very well. And I really liked the way they worked. So talking with Joel, because at the start I was like, I told both I'm going to do a couple weeks here and then a couple weeks there. And I'm going to see where I feel better. And by the time I finished my time with Paulo, it was pretty much Joel telling me, Okay, it's actually there's nothing there, so 
don't don't come here. I think if you find a good option there with Paulo, stay there. Uh, and I think this was like halfway into my time with Paulo that he told me this. And then it was really like just by the last week or something that I was going to stay there with Paulo, like trying it out. That I just send one last message to to Joel, or I called him, and I was like, "Okay, so what's the final decision? Should I just stay here?" And then he said, "Oh, actually, um, Drew Box just went to Girona, and he's going to be there with his squad." And then I think it makes sense, although it's only because then it's Emma was going to come, and Yala was here, and Vince was here, so then they thought, "Okay, then makes a little bit more sense if you have at least a coach there, so you can just go there and try it out." And that's what I did. I, a couple of weeks later, I was in Girona, and by the end of the time I was here, although it didn't went didn't go super well, I had two crashes in like three weeks that I was here. <laughs> the, the roads in Girona get very slippery in the in the winter. Um, first of all, at like when I came here, which was like in February, because it's like it's been raining since like November, and it never really dries. So the downhills they're like covered by trees have been wet for like three months then and there's this like you know the green starting to grow in the asphalt which is like super slippery and well i i was tired enough trying to hang on to them that when it was downhill i didn't want to lose speed braking and <laughs> i went down two times anyways uh just was a, a hard choice back then but in the end it was really just the gut feeling that i i think it comes a lot that what I learned from Joachim came a lot from what Joel had taught him. So just my gut feeling being here with Joel, just, I don't know, it just made a lot of sense for me. And I ended up just choosing staying here with Joel, which, well, I definitely think was a very good decision. Let's chat a little bit about your goals for the rest of the season, the rest of the year. So there's uh, the test event in Paris coming up, but you're also currently the leader of the World Triathlon Championship Series, just uh, finished second in Hamburg. So that's the last race that has happened by the time of this recording. When the listeners hear this episode, uh, the WTCS in Sunderland will have happened. So let's see how things stand then. But uh, but yes, what are your goals for the remainder of the season? Um, so just for the season now, uh, as you said before, I'm number one in the World Series at the moment. The World Series consists of, so it's seven WTSs, I'm pretty sure. Started in Abu Dhabi, Yokohama. We had Cagliari, Ham, uh, Montreal, Hamburg, and Sunderland. And then we have the test event in Paris, which actually, it's not a World Series, but it counts the same points as a normal World, world, world Series. So... In the end, it is a World Series, just without the prize money. <laughs> uh, so it's, it is seven races plus the grand final uh, in this case. And what counts is the four best plus the grand final. So the grand final counts not more points, but also, you know, like a fifth of all the points you're going to get. Because if you don't race it, you only get four races that count. So it's ve a very important race. So far, number one... And that just shows that the work until now has been done pretty well uh, with three podiums. But it's a very close fight. Uh, Hayden is actually ahead of me at the moment, uh, Hayden Wild, because he's missing one race or one of the races that are counting for him is like a 30th place maybe in Abu Dhabi when he had a puncture. I'm not, I'm not actually sure which place he got, but I know it was not a normal result for him. 
And even if, if he's racing Sutherland, even if I beat him, if he's on the top five, he will pass me. But I'm, I'm still on the fight for the podium. Uh, and for sure, I'll try to get the world title. Not going to be easy. Uh, would need, well, would be nice to get a win <laughs> uh, to help with that. But the, the main goal definitely this season will be the test event because the Olympic distance in the test event, now we're getting into like details of the, the world ranking, but like, so the Olympic distances count more points than the sprint or than the super sprint. So then those races are very important for the world series in the end. Uh, Cause like, um, even if I win a sprint distance, even if I win Sunderland, that's like the same as a fourth or fifth place in the test event. Uh, so this Olympic distance, so the test event would be way more important for me, actually. And after that, it's the, the grand final in Pontevedra that is the main focus. So those two Olympic distances uh, for the world title and also like to try and uh, prepare myself in the best way for what would be the Olympic Games. So the, the course of the Olympic Games and also the distance, Olympic distance, because now I've raced a bit sprint and super sprint and we want to get back in good shape for Olympic distance and get the body as used to that long distance, well, for as long distance as possible. Uh, being uh, young, uh, not super young, but haven't I, ha- I haven't done that many Olympic distance that I'm super comfortable with it. So I still struggle a little bit sometimes and I want to get as much experience as I can before the Games, of course. So that's an interesting point that you mentioned about still being quite young and not having done that many Olympic distance races because one thing that you have done for many years already is Super League triathlon and uh, I think pretty early on in Super League you were already being quite aggressive and getting some good results and being involved at the front of the races and and it was uh, really cool to see and um, yeah how do you see the impact that Super League triathlon has had uh, on your development as an athlete? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I've been racing Super League since 2019, I think, was the first year I joined them. And since then, I've raced every year, I think. I'm not sure I'm racing this year, uh, actually, because two of the races are between the test event and Pontevedra, which are, like, my two main goals, and I really want to focus and do some training there. Uh, Kind of need a good block before Pontevedra to do a good race there, and being that at the moment that's probably the most important for the World Series. Um, so not sure I'm going to race it this year, but I would say as a young athlete, just getting the chance to be there next to the best athletes in the world, um, socially connect with them, get to know them better, learn about their experiences, learn about what, what it's like racing at this level. And then actually being that it's shorter races, you may be, you're not going to you know win, you're not going to be racing against them in the end, but you do get the chance for a good while to be next to them and lose, um, uh, well, it's, I don't know the word for it, but like lose the over-respect for them. You know, uh, I remember one of my first Super Leagues, uh, Christian came on my side. I was in the front on the bike and Christian came and was like, hey, like, let me through. And I like, slow down, let me, uh, let me go past me. Ended up in the back of the group. And then when transition came, I was like, in the well last and it's very technical courses which means it's a big gap to the first guy already and then i started running in the back and slowly understanding that i have my own place there and feeling that you belong to that level you belong belong to racing with those athletes i think that's definitely like a step up that helped me 
going from then Super League, racing next to them in Super League, in Super Sprint, and then doing it in the sprint distance. And then I guess being able to hold, well, it's not exactly the same speeds, but hold those performances in what will become a two-hour race in Olympic distance. So would you say that the Super League racing is a good environment to build some confidence in yourself and your competitiveness that you can then bring into the the longer races or the sprint and Olympic distance uh, on uh, the world triathlon scene? Yeah, pretty much. I think building confidence for sure. Yeah, I think that would be the what I was get. Yeah, what I was getting to. But I, yeah, the, the confidence of being able to be there because you know super sprint to just it's a you know the 15 sometimes i think most of the runs it's just 1500 even super league i think the run is even 1k although we do it three times but it's 1k so it's just like you don't need to think about oh it's so long i'm gonna like i'm gonna bonk halfway it's like nah just sprint and try to keep stay there as long as you can when you can't that's it but also there is not as much on the line you know on the on a world series it's like olympic points or world series points so in like oh if i bonk halfway then i'll lose a bunch of points and it's on super league it's a bit more not as stressful not as much on the line so you can play with it a little bit more yourself so you can just let's go for it let's let's try to stay here as long as i can so let's get into a discussion of your training can you start by giving us an overall description of uh, what your training is like Overall, I would say our training um, is a little bit, the main idea is to do um, as little as possible for the maximum performance. This means try to not overdo anything. So, of course, if you want to run a fast 10K, you can run 150K a week to do that fast 10K. But how little can we do to try and still run fast? Because every K a week we do more, it's a higher risk of injury. Every, you know, second faster in the paces we have to train at, it's higher risk of injury. And each injury sets us back a lot. So it's pretty much trying to do, well, we, we still do train a lot. So it's not like <laughs> we, we would train, you know, close to 30 hours. Uh, depends a little bit who we're talking about. Of course, the older guys like Yell and Vince would train a little bit more than I do. I'd say my big weeks are between 28 and 30. Their big weeks are maybe between 30 and 32. Uh, but it's uh, trying to be very respectful of paces and very respectful of the body energy to never go over a point where the body is exhausted and where injuries and sickness comes very, very easily. And what is the distribution between easier aerobic training and uh, harder workouts like? Yeah, so I'd say we do a lot of easy work. Um, a lot of what we call a cruise, which is just, you know, cruise pace. So you just, you know, on the bike. Um, I think we have if two hard sessions of each sport, pretty much. So every week, so we swim six times a week, but only two of those are actually hard swims. The rest is just cruise. The rest is just swim through it, just get the case in. Same thing on the run. We run... I, we run, I run five, five times a week, but only two of those are intensity runs. The rest is only also just cruise, just getting the, getting the, the case in and the bike, the same thing. So we bike six times a week, I think. Yeah. Six times a week. And then only two of those are actually hard bikes with intervals. The rest is just getting the, the case in. So we have a lot of easy training 
And then even the intensity training, we do a lot of thresholds. So not a lot of like super hard training. We are quite careful with those upper, um, you know, the, the race paces and stuff like that. We only usually get to that, you know, four weeks before the main races that we're focusing on in the end of a training block. So most of a training block of a long training block, we actually would be going easier than race pace, for example, just to, to slowly build everything, you know, like build the whole, you know, the build the threshold from the start, you know, from the easy paces up to slowly, you know, like throughout the months up to the race pace, instead of just trying to work the race pace a lot, just like build it up slowly through all the paces to con- so that the body is under control under every, uh, every different uh, effort uh, until we get to actually the paces that we want to be racing at. And is the program very similar week to week uh, that you do the same amount of training uh, week in, week out? Or, or do you have some weeks that are lighter recovery weeks? Yeah, um, yeah, that's actually, I think, something that's different from many other people. Uh, we do not have any rest days. We do not have any easier weeks, exactly, unless when you're talking taper weeks. We don't, we, we don't have, like, during volume time that we do, you know, three weeks hard, one week easy. It's really, and that's why we're so careful with our efforts and how much uh, intensity we, work we do. Because if you get exhausted and you don't, you don't have any easy days, you don't have any time to recover from it. And we have to control um, the well the efforts we're doing every day to be able to recover for the next day. Otherwise, it builds up. The tiredness builds up, and after you know four or five weeks, you're completely exhausted and you do need a break. Uh, so yeah, we we do pretty much exactly the same thing. Uh, training wise, of course, the training develops. There's a development in the mostly the hard training. So in the beginning, let's say December, January, there's barely any intensity at all. Uh, all training is just long session. Instead of the intensity runs or intensity bikes, we just do long rides uh, or long runs, and that those sessions would slowly build into you know long slower thresholds then to a bit shorter but faster thresholds and same thing on the bike that we start going into like heel work like um you know more like power work um climbing and stuff and then go from there into a pace line so the train does develop but we do the same thing every week in terms of like the schedule we have a very similar schedule every week which i like you do get into the routine very easily and you know what you're gonna you know monday is gonna be a day without any intensity you know tuesday is gonna be the day with the most intensity you know and you know like this is gonna although we might change we bike first or we swim first but in that day i know like exactly what we're gonna do pretty much and then session changes a little bit but it's the same amount of work per day i would say uh, throughout many months. And I think getting a good routine and knowing what you're doing every week helps a lot with uh, getting through so much training and not getting any rest days that you can prepare uh, and you kind of get habits to, you know, before the big days that you got to sleep better, you got to eat a little bit more carbs before that day maybe, and you can prepare yourself pretty well then. And if we go into some specifics around your swimming, you mentioned swimming six times a week. So firstly, what would the total volume be for a week of swimming? 
Um, so as we get closer to like right now with races and everything, usually we swim, you know, between around four Ks per session, but during the winter, we do get a little bit more volume in. I would say we are close then to 25K a week, I think. I'd say between 25 and 30 depends a little bit. Sometimes we have a bit more volume on the swim. Sometimes we have a little bit less, but between 25 and 30, yeah. And when it comes to the two harder swim sessions that you do each week, could you maybe give an example of one of those sessions, what it might look like? The swim sessions change a lot. Um, So, okay, I have it here, for example, on a Tuesday, this is during like volume, a normal volume week. Uh, We had 40 50s. So four times 350 is hard, 150 easy. And then four times 250 is hard, 150 easy. And then four times 150 hard, 150 easy. And then 450 is hard, which should be 4050s, I think, in the end. So that would be an example of a hard swim. Of course, this is a bit of shorter intervals, uh, but we, it's very short rest. So if you're doing these, usually we, this, like maybe we'd start at like, 45 seconds start in the beginning and then build it up a little bit to 50 or 55 to get more rest towards the end. But it it does go pretty quickly. So it's not like you're doing short efforts. In the end, it does feel like a long threshold because you don't get that much rest. And how would you describe the the rest of the swims of the training week, the ones that are not the harder sessions? I would say it's pretty much the boring swimming, just back and forth. We do have different sessions, but it's uh not the most fun sessions i i think we would do like um typical i don't know a typical session could be like like a thousand warm-up uh then a couple 50s let's say like eight 50s with some sprints like 25 fast 25 easy and then 10 300s just like five pool five swim and then a cool down on top of that yeah, but it's a lot of, yeah, as I said, like 10, 300 is a, you know, a long session and it's very short rest. Maybe we get like 10 seconds rest in between each rep. Uh, so it's really just swimming. We do have different, different sessions because for the mind, it's good <laughs> to do something different. But in the end, we are pretty much just putting our four to five K just swimming. Uh, we do have usually like in one session, that's like a, a little bit faster outside, like, not fast in terms of speed, but instead of just going easy, instead of being, you know, if you want to go slow, you can go slow. It's like, you know, just on an easy day, you could swim, if we're swimming hundreds, you could swim it on one, you know, get in at 125, start 130. But we have one day where you try to keep it more active. So maybe make sure that you get in at 120, for example. So you're not really just swimming easy, like you're doing some work just to get a little bit more like aerobic work in. Um, and the other days would be just really, we have one day that's very easy, just 3K choice. Uh, so you can swim as easy as you want and do whatever you want, just the 3K. One day that's a little bit longer, a little bit like keep the pace a little bit, not not let it go too easy. And then how many days and then two days that would be just normal easy so depending how you feel you can go easier you can go a little bit faster but just swim through the you know the meters 
And I heard that there was a period of time when you really put in a lot of focus on the swim to make sure that you could come out with the front pack very consistently uh, at the WTCS level. So can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So actually, I would say that was the big for Hamburg 2020. So at my big breakout year when I got the silver in Hamburg was that I had actually changed swim coach so when i joined the university in linchoping in sweden i i left the city from my high school although i was still being coached by joachim and i joined the swim club in linchoping um coached by anders holmerch which is well one of the best or an iconic swimmer from sweden with the uh, well world championship medals and olympic medals so he has a lot uh, of knowledge about swimming and he really passed that on on me and helped me a lot um, getting better on my swim and I would say that there was a huge difference for me we we would put insane amounts of swimming in like I, I could be swimming more 35 k's a week with him it was very long sessions we would have to control it uh, because of course with the swim and uh, with the bike and run I couldn't swim that much for a long time we would have to start biking less or running less, but we did do that. I, I would remember, like I would run less back then and I'd bike way less back then because our swim volume was so big. And I think that gave me a base that was very important for what I'm doing now. And even back then gave me a huge boost. Although I wasn't always coming up in the front, I started for the first time coming up very close to the front packs and coming out of the water also with enough energy to then chase them and catch back up the, you know, the 10 second gap I could have or something to the front back. Um, I was a little bit afraid when I came here to train with Joel, because of course the triathlon group doesn't swim much, as much as I was doing. And with the amount of biking we are doing, which would be the biggest difference. And also the run, of course, they, they just, there isn't energy or there isn't space to do the swims I was doing. So we do swim a little bit less. Um, but I think just the consistent uh, volume over the time I've been here has plus what I was doing before that actually have helped me a lot. And I, I was a little bit afraid that pushing down the volume was going to be bad because my swim was improving a lot before that. And I learned from Anders Holmerch that drills and technical exercises and stuff like that, it's good when you're young but it gets to a point where when you are where you are where I am at you know racing for for a world title racing at the world series there isn't time to do that the best way to to get better and the best way to do it and that's how he did it back in his time is just swim just swim uh, if you you know someone who runs a lot are going to be good at running at some point someone who I, I don't know cooks a lot it's whatever in life like if you do it enough you're going to become good at it because you don't have a choice it just, that's just how it, how it works and that's pretty much what he said if you just put the the case in slowly your body will learn you know like if you spend enough time in the water you will learn without any exercise that if you put the hand like this you're going to be saving energy because you do learn automatically to save energy because you spend so much time and get very tired otherwise. And that's pretty much also the thought I brought here. And I think we work a little bit in the same way that we just put the volume in. There's not too much technical um, 
changes. It's just like you swim the way you do and let's just put the volume. Let's work, 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 work. And and it, my swim has definitely kept developing since then. Great. And let's go into a similar discussion around your, your bike training. So yeah, let's start by giving us some more details around what your uh, a typical bike week look, looks like for you. So we ride six times a week. I think Saturday is our day off from our riding. Um, and as I said, we have four easy days, two intensity days. Going through like the easy days, there would be like Monday, easy, you know, one, one to one and a half hour ride. Tuesday, it's one and a half hour with sprints. Uh, Tuesday is our hardest day because it's we have intensity in, in every every session and the bike there it's one and a half hours but we do like eight to ten times fifteen seconds hard and although it sounds like it's nothing sprints do take it out of you a bit and when you have so much training around you, you do feel it. How long recoveries would there be between the sprints? Two minutes, like enough to recover, but you still you still you still feel it. Yeah, yeah. And usually we also, we would do this a lot in a crit. Well, it doesn't have to be a crit, but at a U-turn. So we would train U-turns with it. So we would do like the U-turn, sprint out, and then do a little loop, come back, U-turn, sprint out. Because that's pretty much comparison with cycling. In cycling, you need to be able to sprint on top of a fast speed. In triathlon, with our, well, it's pretty much crit bikes we have, like it's very technical and where you need the power is coming out of, out of the turns. We are never at, at a point that you're riding at 40, 45k an hour and you need to sprint out of there. It's pretty much around the turns that the biggest differences I made. And that's where what we need to train. So that's what we do there, for example. Then we have Wednesdays, usually a long ride, uh, long, easy, what we would call like a basic ride, which is once again not too easy so keep the pace going but also like not too hard it's not like you're not pushing too hard but you're just a little bit uncomfortable you know uh you're not don't let the pace go down too much um and that could be you know like from two to four hours depending a little bit where we are but distance you know distance ride um then we go to thursday and that would be an intensity ride so depending where we are it could be heels it could be paceline it could be a crit session but that's where between two and three hours we do have a warm-up and then do a big session a lot of intensity there friday depends a little bit but i would say between one to two hours easy so that's again like on monday just sometimes it's a bit longer than monday but it's still just an easy ride and then saturday we have off and then sunday we have a long uh, and in, intense bike. So that would be the hardest bike of the week, probably, because we would put four hours. Well, usually Wednesday would be three, Sunday would be four, or if Wednesday is four, maybe Sunday would be five. So it's always like the longest ride of the week, and we do put intervals in there. So that would be the last hard session, the last session of the week. And uh, what would the total uh, number of hours of cycling per week be, roughly? Yeah, during the winter, we definitely go and stay like more than 15 sometimes. Uh, not a lot more, but, you know, can go between 15 and 17, I'd say. All right. So, yeah, let's go into running then. Okay. So running wise, I think it's easy. I can just go through like Monday to Sunday. Um, so we only run five times a week. 
Mondays and Fridays are the days off, so we start the week with no running on Monday. Tuesday, it's intensity uh, running, so there would be, you know, a long run, not not super long, but quite intense, being that, as I said, Tuesday, we have intensity on the swim, on the bike, we have the sprints, and then we have intensity on the run. So it's we're already tired, so it's not a session where we would be focused on putting a lot of case in, but we do our focus on the session. That that would be the day, depending where we are, where we'd go to the track, for example, and you know could do, I don't know, a session we do at the track, like 16400s, I, I think it's like a session we would do, which has you probably, like it's not, it's not a crazy session. And none of our intensity sessions are crazy because... It's about being ready for the next days and it's about being able to handle the volume and the intensity throughout a long period without any rest days. Uh, so th- yeah, that would be Tuesday, just a, you know, a warm up, a track session or a hill session, depending where we are. And then just a cool down, try to not get too many Ks, but still, you know, second biggest day of the week. Um, then we have Wednesday and Thursday. They're just easy days easy run on your own can do pretty much the pace you want the pace you feel comfortable with uh for me wednesday would be a 45 minute run uh, and thursday would be a one hour run um this changes for the the big boys that would do one hour on wednesday and one hour 15 on on thursday but as i said my volumes is a little bit lower so on those days i would i would cut 15 minutes on each we go to friday day off from running uh, be, making sure that those three days that you still add up, you know, if we run like 20K on the Tuesday, um, let's say 10, 11K on on Wednesday, and then 13, 14K on, on Thursday, you still add up, you know, making sure that on Friday that we recover, maybe get a massage then. Um, we have dream on, gym on Friday, so usually then I also do some foam rolling, just make sure the muscles can recover from all of that running because on Saturday we have the biggest run of the week. Usually Uh, that could be, well, I'd say the hardest session we do is the one hour build on the Saturday. Uh, So that's adds up to like 30 Ks in one session running there. So it is very important to be like well recovered. And as I said, this is a session that I know I have to eat well the day before to make sure I have like I'm fueled and everything. I'd say yeah, from what I said that we don't do any crazy sessions, I'd say that's the craziest we do. Or the, as we say, we usually like once you've done this session, then you're part of the squad. Uh, and it's the one hour build. Uh, we do a 30 minute warm up, easy running, just getting ready, a few strides. And then we do 20 minutes at 340, 20 minutes at 330, 20 minutes at 320. Uh, and well, that's pretty much it. And it sounds easy on paper. When you when you come off a good couple of weeks of high volume and you do this, you you do get the last twenty minutes can be a bit hard sometimes. Uh, I remember the first time, the last time we did it, I felt very comfortable. But I remember the first time we did it, I I think I even got dropped in the last five minutes because I was completely <laughs> I was completely done. And well, for me then it's a, it's a very big session and also you're getting close to the end there you're you have already probably like close to 25k and it's uh not only the speeds you've been running at but also the case you got in um and it does take a lot out of you i'd say that session and then sunday 
it's prim- uh, for me it would be a 45 minute run um, big boys a one hour run so it's just a recovery usually that would be maybe my slowest run recovering from Saturday but just getting it done just uh, feeling whatever pace feels comfortable and yeah finishing the week with an easy run to try and recover from everything else so how much does that add up to in kilometers of running per week I would put it uh, between between 75 and 85, I would put it. And what about gym work? Is that something that you do as part of your training? Yeah, so we do gym on Mondays and Fridays. So the two days when we don't run, uh, we have the gym. And it's actually very different programs for, for everyone. Uh, it's a little bit open. You kind of you get to do what you want to do. If you want help from Joel or from Drew, they will give you a session. But most people have their own like physio that gives them either physio because you're injured and you or you've come off an injury and you want some special exercises or a physio that's been following following your gym program and interestingly enough i actually i do the same program that i did with you because it's just a program i've been doing for quite a long time and i feel comfortable with it and i feel it works what i need to work um, I do adjust some exercises sometimes to to my weaknesses to work some some more of my weaknesses sometimes, which would be like my my hip strength a little bit to well like some plank in different positions on the sides and everything to work the hips and some other exercises that I don't know the names of, but it's I don't know if you know it. We call it like Mac R. It's not like a specific training program that Joachim came up with. I think it's something that it exists on the internet, like. I'm not sure if it's a Swedish thing or not a Swedish thing, but it's very simple. It's pretty much just working through the body with low weights and works a lot on the balance and stuff like that, which is important, I think, for the run and for the legs because the big muscles get enough work on the on our running and swimming and biking. So it's more working some small muscles, making sure uh, everything's activated, making sure there's no weaknesses that will make you get injured um in the, in the long term and usually get some stretching in as well and what about brick workouts do they feature in your training at any point it's funny i had actually the other day i was with joan pereira teammate from portugal and we were discussing this um depends what you think that a brick session is we we do on our i think on our thursdays many times when we have when we get to the bricks uh, uh, sorry, when we get to the crits, um, to the crit sessions. So we build throughout, you know, the training block that we go maybe from heels to pace line. And then like the last step would be doing crit sessions. And towards very close to the races, we would one or two of those, we would finish with a, usually it's like, we do the like the main focus is the bike session. So we do the crit session. And then at the end of the last interval, we get off, get off the bike, put the shoes on and do like, uh, I think usually the first time is two minutes, just race pace. The second time is 1K. Like imagine two, like, well, let's say three weeks before a race. First time, just to make sure you feel good doing it. Second time, you can push a little bit more, do it a little bit longer. But it's only one time. So uh, I remember talking about this with Pereira because he was saying that they do, you know, repeatedly, you know, like a bike, th- you know, a a bike interval followed by a run interval and then you go back to the bike go back to the run go back to the bike go back to the run 
and we just do our main bike session and add the run at the end of that, just a short run, just to get the feeling of with the heavy legs start ru starting running a bit. But it's not like we focus on being super good on that part. We kind of believe a lot that you're if you're a good biker and a good runner, even after a hard bike, you're going to run well. We just do that once or twice to make sure, well, not only that you remember how to do the transition, but also just to remember the feeling of starting running like that. And could we now look into uh, an exact training week? Uh, you can choose uh, a training week that you think is, is appropriate, but yeah, looking into uh, the exact details of, of one particular week of training in your life. I have, a, I have a week here that I was giving the examples from. We can use that one. So we're looking at the week from the end of February. So this is really just volume training, uh, base training. Uh, so we can start with the Monday. We did a 5K easy swim. So just a 5K swim through. And then we had the gym, as I told you, pretty much just this Mac A uh, gym program with some extra exercises and then an easy 19 minute ride. So that would be our Monday, which is the easiest day of the week. Tuesday, which arguably one of the hardest days of the week, a 5K swim with the 40-50s. So it's the session that I was telling that it's three 50s hard, one easy, four times, plus two hard, one easy, four times, plus one hard, one easy, four times, plus four hard. One hard, four times. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I would follow the way I was explaining, yeah. Uh, so that would be a 5K swim session as well. As you can see here, it's like long sessions. We do put a lot of volume in the swim then. Uh, followed by that would be um, a bike session with sprints, with the sprints coming off. So 8 by 10 seconds or 10 by 10 seconds. Usually you can choose a bit. It's 8 to 10, depending how you're feeling. Um, just coming off a U-turn. Uh, so working your skills and the sprints together. And then we would end that day here back in February. We're doing hills going over to flat. So like imagine usually we like we start the intervals with only hills and then we start doing hills and flats and then we go over only to flats going over later to, to the track. In this case, it was 18K session. So as I said, it's not a very long run. We we save that run for Saturday and it's eight by 45 seconds heels. So just 45 seconds. Well, maybe race, you could call it race pace, but if you do race pace on an uphill, it is a harder effort than the race pace. So it's controlled, but hard up and then just run down easy recover. And then as, as soon as you get to the start, you go up again. So I'm not sure exactly the rest, but would be close to maybe one and a half, two minutes coming down. Um, maybe sometimes less. If you're fresh, it, it's less because you run faster down. But if you're tired, coming down goes a bit slower. <laughs> so I'd say the, the rest gets longer as, as the session goes by. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, we do eight by one minute on the flat race pace. Or I'd say a fast, like we would build a race pace. So maybe we started like three minutes per K going down to maybe 2.45. And that's Tuesday. Let's go over to Wednesday. On Wednesday, again, we have a 5K swim. So keeping the volume on, on the swim. And as I said, Wednesday is the day where it's what we call, like would be a cruise swim. So it's not easy, it's cruise. So cruise is like 
between easy and steady. It's like just easy, but pushing a little bit. Yeah, it would be between 115 to 120. It depends a lot how you're feeling. Of course, when you get tired, you've, you've, if you got it like already three, four weeks behind you, it's probably 120. If you're just starting the block, you can probably swim on 115. Um, just not go, just not go down maybe to 125 or something like that, because yeah, that would be a very easy swim then. Then it's here the session or the main session. We have the warm up, which is around maybe 1K to 1500 meters, and then eight 500s uh, for pool, for swim. So it's just swimming pretty much, <laughs> a long swim set. Um, we go over to a bike, uh, and then we have just an easy bike here. As I said, it's just a little bit of volume, usually like basic. So on the bike, what we call on the swim cruise, we call basic on the, on the bike, which is once again, just keeping the pace going a bit, but not pushing too hard. And that would be a two and a half hour ride, uh, 80k. So as you can see, like 80k for two and a half hours, it's over 30k an hour, like average. So it is, you know, it's not super fast, but you're keeping the pace going. And then an, an easy run in the evening, the 40, 45 minute run, which in this case was a 11k run. Uh, and that's Wednesday then. So Wednesday is pretty much a long volume day without much intensity. Thir Thursday, we start with the easy swim. So this is the day I said we have 3K easy swim, like just choice, uh, which is like you can choose to do whatever you want, just as slow as you want, recover the arms, rotate the arms, because Tuesday is a hard swim and Wednesday is a volume swim. And after that, your arms are pretty heavy. So you do want that easy swim to kind of try to recover the arms a bit. Um, and then we have on the bike, uh, as I said, it's we start at this time, we would we'd be doing heels. That's the heel, like the start of the building block. In this, at this moment, we did 10 by four minutes heels, just four minutes up and recovery come down until the start again, and then repeat that four times. Um, and what would the intensity be for those repeats? We would build, so a lot of our sessions we build, you know, we build the paces. So we would start, if we want to talk what's a little bit, like would start maybe being that I weigh like 65k kgs, um, would start at like, depending how tired I am, 250 to 275 and build it up to the last one, maybe 350 to 400 watts, depending of course how tired I am. We would build it up, like the last ones would be pretty hard. We try to start under the threshold. So like, so you can really work your way into it. And also if this way, also, if you're very tired, you're not, you're not having a good day, you can stop earlier in the way of like developing. So like, imagine you weigh, do 250, 275, 300, 325. And at the 325, you actually feel, okay, this is it then you don't need to build more. And in that way, you never overwork yourself because if you start at 350 and then understand, oh, this is too much, you already like, we, we never like to do that. You know, it's always better to build up than to build down, I would say. Um, and yeah, the, well, no. And then we have an easy run. So a one hour run, which would be 14K, uh, just easy run by myself. Uh, some people choose to do this right off the bike. I would give it some time. I'll, I would like to get, I like to get some rest in between the, the sessions. Um, and that would be Thursday then. 
Um, and then we go over to Friday. Friday, the main event is the swim, which is a hard swim. I would say like probably the hardest swim of the week, although Tuesday is hard as well. But being that on Friday, that's the only hard session. Usually that would be a bit harder than Tuesday. Uh, and we have a 5K swim again. In this case, the session was three times. So three sets of 650s plus four 150s plus 200. It's probably, probably we did do 650s, um, like too hard, one easy, too hard, one easy. And then the four 150s um, steady, because usually when we have 200 like this at the end, it's like a recovery 200 many times. So we do like 650s and four 150s would be hard and the 200 would be just like swim through, recover, and then get into the new set. Because as you said, it's a long set if everything would be hard. Okay. And then after the swim, usually we do our gyms directly after the swim, which is pretty much the only session we do directly after. Most sessions we try to get like, you know, two to three hours between every session always to not put them on top of each other and get good, you know, food in between and some rest in between. The gym is usually done straight after the swim. Um, and then in the afternoon on Friday, we'd have an easy bike. Uh, in this case, like just a two-hour ride. So as I said, Monday and Fridays are the easy rides. Monday is a little bit shorter. So on this Monday, I had one, like 90 minutes. And on the Friday, we have two hours. So it's a little bit longer, but still just an easy session that you can take at your own pace if you want. But it is more fun to go together in the group. All right, and then we get into the weekends. Um, starting with Saturday, we have a swim, although we, we run first, so I can say the run first. We run, and that's pretty much the session we talked about. Um, we have, have a 30K run here with the one-hour build, so 20 minutes, 3.40 pace, 20 minutes, 3.30 pace, 20 minutes, 3.20 pace, uh, with a total of 30K. So that's, that's a, a big, big session. And we would do that in the morning around 9am and then in the, in the afternoon, like at two or three, we would do kind of a, a cruisy swim with sometimes some a cruisy ones, just an easy swim with sometimes some accelerations, depending on how tired we are. Uh, in this case, it was a 4k session. So all the other sessions this week were 5k besides the easy session on Thursday. Here we do 4k. So it's a little bit less, keeping in mind that we just had a long run. And it was two times, so two sets of eight 100s plus 200. So here it was probably like the eight 100s was like um, three swim and then one 50 build, 50 easy. So just get a little acceleration there in the middle. You do it twice every, you know, every eight 100s at the fourth and at the eighth, and then just 200 easy, you know, backstroke recovery, and then you do it again. So it's quite an easy session. You have a little acceleration just to, I don't know, to, to keep the, the arms active, but very, you know, a very easy and not so long session because the body will be tired from the run we did in the morning. And finally, getting to Sunday, feels like a long week just talking about it. Uh, we, we start on Sunday with the bike. So as I said, this would be the longest bike of the week. It's a four hour ride here with five by 10 minute heels. So at this point we're working heels mostly and here we do longer heels than we did on, on the Thursday. So five by 10 and once again, just progressive starting the first one at those 250 to 75, building up to 
a 10 minute, I wouldn't build up to 400. So maybe build up to 350 uh, watts uh, because yeah, holding 400 for 10 minutes <laughs> uh, is not really something I think I would do. Um, and yeah, uh, that would be the bike. Quite simple, I would say, with just five by 10 and four hours in total. And we finished the week in the end with a 45 minute run, just easy pace um, to cool off. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was a fantastic, uh, fantastic insight into your training. So a bit of a different question then. When you joined Joel's squad, did you have any, outside of, of course, becoming a better athlete, uh, getting more and more better, higher positions in races, did you have any other expectations in terms of, for example, what you would learn or how it would be any yeah and any anything like that that you expected uh, that it would be like to be training in the squad like Joel's? When I when I first joined the squad here, it's not like I was expecting uh, anything specifically from them. Uh, I was more open to the new experience and to the new adventure a little bit here with them. Um, I would say thinking, taking back that I I moved away from my parents' house when I was 15 and traveling, racing for Portugal. I would travel alone a lot because I was, you know, traveling from another country. I am... In, I would say I'm very open to talk with people and very open to ask questions, being that I kind of needed to do that, being that I was a lot on my own. Uh, and in that way, I, well, learned to listen a lot and I learned to not be shy to ask questions a bit. And being here with the squad, I do, I really like to ask questions about things that I don't know and about yeah. how, you know, mostly the athletes have been mostly, you know, have like Vincent with sponsors, like even stuff like that. I would just ask him like, not only what I should do, but what he has done, you know, like how did you get to this point? And like, what's your experience? What should I learn from him? Like, what should I do? What should I not do? And, you know, joining that with training, with the social life around training, there is a lot you can learn from them. It's hard to know, like specifically things I was expecting to learn um, because it's more, I had, you know, like I didn't know much before coming here. It was like everything I wasn't expecting to learn. I was just open to talking with them, open to listening, opening to know what they have to say. Uh, and I would say training wise, it's not like I learned a lot, uh, but it's the life around the training. And that includes the business life of triathlon. And that includes the private life around being a professional athlete. And that's where they've helped me the most, I would say. In maybe I would I would have expected maybe I'd say be like oh maybe they have they're gonna teach you about the races and you know like you know tips and tricks about how you can race better and you can but in the end that's actually you just you just do your training and that's pretty simple you just show up do the best you can uh, and then at the race you do the same thing you know you prepare it just like I prepared it before you just in better shape because you've trained better and the race goes better in the kind of learn with yourself because racing and how you feel in the races is very personal. And maybe that's what I was not expecting. What I learned the most was what happens outside of the, you know, the racing and the training itself. So it sounds like there's a really good culture in the squad. And that is something that, uh, from talking with Joel before, uh, I would have expected, and uh, it's not a surprise. But can you, can you discuss that aspect, the the culture in in the training squad? Yeah, I really like 
I don't know if it's, yeah, it's definitely the culture, but we have very nice people training here with us and we, we help each other a lot. And I really like that. And we're very supportive of each other. And, you know, we get in a podium together and instead of being like, ah, like if he wasn't here, I would have done better. It's like, you're very happy for each other. At least that's how I feel. And that's the feeling I get from the others that we, is it with, we thrive, is that we thrive with each other's like good results. Uh, and I think you do get that feeling in the group when someone's had a good result, you also start, you know, you believe in like, oh, he's been doing this training, he performed well, and I'm doing the same as him. So, you know, it gives you also more belief in what you're doing and um, keeps you, keeps your trust, you know, and like the worst thing you can have is that you're, uh, doubting if you, sh- you should be doing something different or if the training is good or if you know if you should be changing something around but if the people around you are getting good results doing what you're doing you you know you're just gonna keep doing the same thing because you want to have the good results they're having as well and a bit of a different question uh, because you're still very young of course but you you also have a lot of experience so if you look back at your career so far is there anything that you think back and think that, oh, I should have done that differently or it would have been better to do that instead? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, thinking broadly about it, not really. I think I've been very lucky in the choices I've made. Um, I think joining Joachim in Sweden was you know, life-changing for me. Probably if I didn't join him... I and I was in Sweden training by myself. I would have just stopped triathlon. If I was back in Portugal and didn't move to Sweden, I would probably have joined just the national team. And I think just joining Joachim, going to that Riksteatr Gymnasium in Sweden, learning from him and him having such an open mind to learn from other coaches at Joel, uh, being a coach that opened my mind to, you know, changing coach when it was t- time to change and trying to always. You know, look for a better solution, look for solutions that can make you keep growing every day. Uh, without that, I wouldn't have joined Joel either. Um, so I think I've, I've been very lucky in, well, in the choices I've been given uh, and I wouldn't change anything specifically. Of course, you do have, you know, small, I would say small details, maybe this day that, you know, I, I made some stupid decision and because of, you know, if you have a crash, you know, I, the stupid decision of not changing my tires or not putting lo- lower pressure on my tires or should have eaten better before this session or I should have invested more in physio to not get injured there. But I mean, that's also the things that teach you, I would say, uh, and that make that today I would do that better. But that's just part of learning as well. So I wouldn't have anything specifically I would change. And then looking ahead to to next year, what are your goals for the Paris Olympics? Yeah, so it's always hard talking about the goals for the Olympics. So um, I'd say at the moment, I'm not not putting too much pressure on it. At the moment, I want to qualify, being that I I was out of the qualification for, for Tokyo. Things are looking pretty well at the moment. I probably probably I should be there if nothing goes wrong but I'd say that's the first step you know I don't want to be focusing on 
too much more when that's the first goal. You know, first I want to be there and I'm doing what I need to do to be there. And then when I, when I am there, I would say I want to do more than just participating. It's not, my goal is not to be there. That's not, you know, I've never had the dream of just being at the Olympics. I've had the dream of, you know, getting a medal at the Olympics. That's a very big goal and a big dream. And I would say either way, if it happens or it doesn't happen, (laughs) there's only three people out of the, you know, 55 or 60 people who go, who get that. So it's, chances are low. I'm doing my work to get there. And I think, I think I would be very happy to be there and performing in the front, no matter the end result, and would be a dream come true to get a medal at the Olympics. And then looking beyond Paris, will you go for another Olympic cycle? Or yes, are your goals beyond Paris something that you have uh, uh, put any thought into at all? Uh, I have, not too much. Of course, every Olympic cycle, a lot of things change. But I, I was actually just having dinner with Joel two days ago, talking a little bit about the future, the future of the squad, because, you know, probably some athletes are going to retire or they're going to get into long distance. Uh, so things are going to change. But I think the focus at the moment is that the, they want the squad to keep going. You know, they want to keep um, investing in the squad, get new athletes if that's what's needed and keep developing the ones we have. So the goal or the idea is pretty much to, to do the same I'm doing now. So stay here in Girona has my base. Uh, we probably will go in a few more camps, uh, go to Font as we do. I mean, just the normal cycle we do and focus on the next Olympic cycle again. So as I'm 23 now, as I see it right now, of course, things can change. But at least 28, I'm 100% focused on the Olympics. And I think as well for 2032, my biggest goal will be the Olympics. After that, I think that will be the moment to reconsider what what I want to do after, let's call it a short distance career. So I think that would be the point where, you know, that's my last Olympics. And do I want to do long distance? Do I retire and do something else? But I think I have a, a long way until then. And I have a, a lot of other things to focus on until I need to, to make that decision. Yes, for sure. You definitely have a, a lot of time ahead of you to do all of the things that you want to do. Um, so let's do some quick fire numbers that, that are quite fun. Uh, so let's start with, have you done a 400 meter swim time trial or a swim time trial of another distance? And uh, what was your time? I haven't, we, with Joel, we never take, we, we don't do that. Like we don't take times or we don't race on training pretty much. I did when I was younger in high school, we would do that sometimes. I think I did get before moving to Girona. So like that would be two years ago. I did get uh, like a four on the 400, I think maybe 415 or four. I think it was under 420, like 415, I think in the you know 400 meter swim. But yeah, we don't do that very often. And I'm not a very, I'd say I, I do much better in open water than I would do if you compare me with other swimmers at the races at the pool and what is your best average power or normalized power for an olympic distance race <laughs> i only i've never raced with my my bike computer until this season this was the first season i started racing with it and actually my well my powers were very weird i don't know why the the computer was like the 
the lap, when I lapped it on the bike computer, it showed, you know, 320, but then I uploaded it was like 220 and neither of them, those made sense. So actually, I don't know. And then I just, I think I did one race and then I bought a new bike computer actually. And I raced in Montreal with it for the first time to try and get the data from there. Uh, but I, I crashed in Montreal so I actually, then my power meter disconnected and everything. So I don't know. <laughs> I would give you, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no problem. That's, that's right. Uh, running wise, what is your best running performance? It can be a standalone run or otherwise a run in a triathlon. Uh, I think I did, um, in Sweden, after, I think this was in 2020, like during the COVID time, trying to find races to do, I did a 5k but on the road. So it was not on the track. It was on the road. Um, and I did, let me think a little bit, 14, maybe like 1420, I think it was something like that. But I, I would say I've performed better in some, I would say so far my best running performance, like this year, I would say Yokohama was a very good run. Um, where I, I got some cramps on transition, started running last and caught up to almost everyone but Hayden and got like a 29, 30 maybe with something like that, 40 on the run there. So I'd say that would be probably my best Olympic distance run ever. Sprint distance is hard. I've done many tra- sprint distances. Um, I do. I think like something close to 14 minutes would be like what I would be able to do. And now on the super sprint, actually in um, Hamburg, I also I had the fastest time, uh, the fastest run time, but I I don't know the distance exactly, so it's hard to actually. Uh, I can see what time I had, but I don't know the exact dis- distance. Uh, that Yokohama run was twenty nine twenty four. Looking at the results now, and Hayden Wild twenty nine thirty. So as you said, the fastest run of the day. And uh, now in the super sprint in Hamburg, um, yeah, the distance is unclear. But um, again, f- at fastest run when you have Hayden Wild and Alexi in the race, that's that's not too bad. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So my run was four fifty three, in a supposedly something between one point five and two k. But also, it's a lot of turns, so it's you don't don't really compare times in in triathlon times. Yeah, no, that's true. So the next question, do you know your total training hours for 2022 across swim, bike and run? No. <laughs> as I'm not a very big data guy, as you maybe as have understood by now. <laughs> so probably this next one you won't have either, but have you ever done a VO2 max test? Oh, I have actually. To, to, join, to join Red Bull, uh, I had to go to, oh, now I don't know the name of the city, but to Austria, to... It's not really the testing center. It's a, in a city besides, but it's close to Salzburg, yeah. And I did do um, a VO2 max test there. Now, that's a hard question because it's not something I focused on a lot, uh, which result I got. Do you want me to try and look it up? I sh- okay, you might need to cut it a little bit here while I, I try to f- find this. Yeah, it's just funny because I do have the results. I only did it once. It was the one time I did it. Um, I I think it was something very close to 80, I think. But I I remember it was different. Like on the run was a bit higher than on the bike. It was something like that. But 
we'll call it very close to 80 and we want to the next question how many hours of sleep do you get each day including nighttime sleep and naps so this is one of the things i've actually had to work the most on um that you know one of the things around training that they've taught me or that i'm trying to get better on learning from them is my sleep hours i would say i would try uh, and my goal is pretty much nine hours altogether. So with naps and with, uh, you know, sleeping during the night, trying to make it usually like eight, eight hours during the night and then a one hour nap during the day. And the final one, when and what was your first ever triathlon? I did some duathlons as like when I was like six or seven years. I think my first triathlon, I was eight years old in Portugal, Cartaxo. It was I was super young and I remember I, I went to a first I went to a couple triathlons before that, but I was afraid of swimming like in the water because I imagine sharks and crocodiles and everything. So in this race, because our swim I was eight years old and for our age group it was a fifty meter swim. And for everyone else, the older age groups, they had to go to the buoys and back. But from the start to the finish, it was actually fifty meters. So we only had to swim next, like next to the sand. And you could always, if you needed, you could stand up. And that was the first time I was actually, you know, could get over and not be afraid of the water because I could get out if I needed. And well, and yeah, that was my, my very first triathlon ever. So you started very young. That brings up a question because I also had Sophie Caldwell on a few weeks ago and she started at six um yeah two two anecdotes is not the same as data uh, but i do think that th there looks like there is maybe a trend that more and more of the top level athletes these days compared to five or ten years ago started triathlon really really early uh, not just in short course but even in long course you, you see the same trend do you think that we're talking specifically short course now but i think it, it applies across the board really that it will be uh, more and more difficult not impossible but more and more difficult to reach the top level of triathlon unless you started pretty early maybe not at six or eight but 10 11 12 rather than 15 16 17 which we maybe could do uh, 10 years ago uh, it's hard to say because you have a lot of triathletes and i like it because you grow with the sports and you, first of all if you if you're good as a junior you do get to meet the athletes you're going to race for so many years and you're able to create a relationship with them, you know, and to build on that relationship. It, like I've been racing Alex since I think the first time 2016. Uh, ben Dykstra, uh, who like he's had some problems with injuries now, but also one of the most up and coming like young British. And him, I think even like 2014, I raced for the first time. Same thing with Alberto Gonzalez, a Spanish who just got third at the TZ World Cup. So, and I think it's fun to race with them from such a young age. And you have so many athletes who definitely started very early. It helps you because you have time to build a base that's very important. I mean, I think in the end, you know, what people call talent, I believe it's just the work you've done that they haven't done. And this works even more when you're younger. So imagine you start at 15, but I started at six or seven. And all like all the hours of training I put in that you haven't, no matter if you know every year you train more than me, you like until you catch up with those like seven years of training, it's gonna take a long time 
And that's what usually you can easily, ah, he's just very talented. It's like, no, he's putting training. Although when you're young, you don't call it training directly, but you are training, you are perfecting the abilities of swimming, biking, and running. And catching up with that is hard, but you do have people who, like Beth Beth Potter, she's starting way later, although she did have run, so she probably has been running for a long time. Yeah, I think a lot of people are not aware, but uh, Beth Potter, she did have, uh, I don't know how many years of swimming she had uh, in her youth, but uh, she she did swim uh, in throughout through some of her youth years, and I'm not sure exactly how old she was at that point, but she she has a decent swim background from from her younger years, so she wasn't just a runner; she had she had some swimming in her. Yeah, so that that explains it. So. I would say it's an advantage, not impossible, but it's an advantage. But I'd say it's important to build those skills, even if you don't start with triathlon. So you already learned how to swim. You have some swimming background, although then you stopped and, you know, you've worked on your bike. You know, you do need to build, you know, the hours of training behind you, although you don't think about that when you're younger. But I think that's where the talent comes from. It's from all the hours you put in when you were not calling it training, you were just having fun. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And uh, then a bit of a different question again. Can you give three pieces of advice for age group triathletes? Ooh, um, it's a hard question. Three pieces of advice. Okay, I'd say the first one, don't focus too much on your diet. I think some people sometimes, you know, like go a lot into it, like, you know, the carbs, you can't don't want to eat too many carbs or, you know, you have different diets. And I think that easily just, you know, goes over the top and you end up just hurting yourself and being an age group you know you just being starving is not a, a good feeling you know that you want to have and that's just going to make you moody make you not love the sport so yeah have fun in the way you know eat what you eat what you want uh, be careful at some points if you want but don't don't start yourself second uh i'd say find some training mates um, that would be the most important. Just have fun a little bit being that like, you know, I'm professional. I have to do this. I have to go to work every day, but as an age group, people do take it more seriously than you'd maybe think, but you know, have fun with it. Don't, don't lose the love for the sport because you took it too seriously, have your goals. And that's totally fine. You know, like you do take it seriously at some points because you, you have goals to perform, but don't forget you're doing it because you like it. You're doing it, you know, in some way it's a hobby. So have some friends who you can, you know, take on your rides, take on your swims, on your runs, uh, keep social. And that's the second one. Let's think of the third one. Uh, I would say, to, you know, performing at the best, um, to perform at your best. So being that, you know, you've done your training and everything um, and, Everyone's got their own coach, so it's not like I'm going to say how you should train. But when you get to the race, to not forget that if you want to race, you know, perform well at the race, details then are very important. And many times people think the details go over to, you know, the equipment. You try to get the best wetsuit. You know, you spend money on the crazy ceramic speed stuff uh, to get, you know, to save all the watts. But then you forget to maybe, you know, like, have rest around the races enough rest give you enough time for the body itself you know like eat very well before a race prepare the travels so you know you have the least 
flights possible so you can sleep as much as possible and don't have flights in the middle of the night where you can't sleep. You know, those things around races are very important and make a huge difference in the race itself when you've done all the training well. Great advice. So let's move into the rapid fire questions. Take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports? I haven't read any book in a very long time related to this. Yeah, we talked a bit before and uh, yeah, you, you said that you don't listen to triathlon podcasts. Um, so how about this? What is your favorite non-triathlon podcast or uh, media channel? Um, I have a, I have a, well, two different podcasts. I have one podcast, which is more business podcast, just keeping up with what's happening in the world and a little bit the business side of the world, uh, how that's, you know, how it's impacting uh, the economy. And then I have one, which is the one I listen to the most, which you being Swedish, you maybe know who it is. Um, Editor's note, I'm Swedish speaking, but I am Finnish. It's the, the YouTube channel who created the podcast. I just want to, I just want to be cool. So I just want to be cool is like the, a very famous, but probably for younger people. So they're like the same age as me. And they have a YouTube channel well, they do, well, where they do sketches, very fun sketches. And now they created a podcast, which is called What in Swedish, Vod. And it's pretty much, they just have to come up. There are four guys, I think, four or five. And each one of them have to come up with a, what would you do in a certain situation? So they come up with kind of different weird situations. Like, for example, I don't know, you're... You're sleeping and suddenly you have water coming down from the ceiling, falling on your face because the neighbor above you, you know, fell asleep in the shower and it's leaking water everywhere. And it's like they take things that happen to them or happen to friends of them, you know, complicated situations. And like, what would you do in this situation? Would you go up and knock on the neighbor's door? Would you call the police? And I mean there's a lot of fun situations they put up and it's just entertaining. I think that, that, that was longer than one sentence. <laughs> and the second one, who is somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? I'd say the most Vanessa Fernandes, the Portuguese. For those not familiar, a uh, silver medalist in the triathlon in the Beijing Olympics in 2008. And uh, yeah, probably inspired a generation of uh, young Portuguese triathletes. She's probably the reason I started triathlon. So definitely one of yeah, the biggest idols I would have within the sports. And finally, a special rapid fire question just for you, uh, because your name gets mispronounced quite a lot. So in the hope that some uh, commentary teams will uh, listen to this, can you set the record straight for how to pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, so I'd say Vasco Vilasa is how you say it. It's I'd say the first name is quite Vasco. So I do, Vasco is fine, but it's more the last name that they go Vilacha or Vilaka, and then that's the one, Vilasa, because I think that's a easy sound for everyone. It's just that some, sometimes people overcomplicate how you should say it. So Vasco, Vilasa. Thank you so much, Vasco, for taking the time to do this interview. Thank you for all the insight into your training and uh, best of luck with the rest of the season and uh, the build towards Paris. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. Really enjoyed talking with, it, with you here for maybe one and a half, two hours almost. 
I hope that you enjoyed that intro. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com, including links to related episodes, uh, such as the interviews that I've done with uh, both Vashko's current and former coaches, Joel Filial and Joachim Villain, have both been on in the past in episodes 172 and 266. So I'll link to those. Also, if you were interested in this, interested in how the, the best short course triathletes in the world train, then uh, you should also go and listen to episode 395, where I interviewed Sophie Coldwell, similarly to this one. Uh, next Monday, uh, I have an interview with swim coach uh, Andrew Sheaf, uh, and uh, this one has a bit of a different angle to it when it comes to swim training and swim coaching. Uh, so I won't uh, tell you exactly what that is, but you'll hear about it if you tune in next Monday. But it's an interesting episode, to say the least. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and level up to achieve your next goal, then there's probably no single better thing that you can do than to get some expert help along the way. At Scientific Triathlon, we provide coaching services that cater to every need from beginners to professionals, where the athlete is in the center and the coaching is grounded in communication and individualization. The coaches have all have a wealth of experience, knowledge, and coaching skills. Uh, but if coaching is out of your budget or not for you for whatever reason, we also have ready-made training plans uh, for different athlete levels and goal events. And uh, we have hundreds, if not thousands, of athletes that have already set big PBs and reached new performance levels with these plans. And they do have exchange and or money back guarantees. So it's uh, basically a risk-free investment. You can also find out about customized training plan options and consultation options. Uh, just go to scientifictriathlon.com and you can email me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com for more information. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel Hydration that you find on precisionfuelhydration.com. If you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy and don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23 and thank you to Form that you can find on forumswim.com forward slash TTS impure swim training with real time metrics like pace, stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post swim analysis and use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim Goggles thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlons